You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Chews Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Super Beats Heart Shoes on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. The Big Fight Weekend Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of Shows is brought to you in part by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie is doing everything they can to help DGENs only cash big. Use the promo code SGP for a 50% deposit bonus. That's MyBookie.ag, promo code SGP. We're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy. Thrive Fantasy is a new daily fantasy sports app built specifically for player props. Download the app in the App Store and use the promo code SGP for instant deposit match up to $50. That's thrivefantasy.com, promo code SGP. Sign up and prop up today. We're also brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks from cappers and bettors, including the crew from the SGPN. Better Than Vegas, it's like YouTube for sports betting. Check out all their free videos at betterthan.vegas. That's betterthan.vegas. We're also brought to you in part by Ace Per Head. Ace is the leader in pay-per-head providers, and they make it super easy to start your own sportsbook. Plus, Ace is offering up to six weeks free over at aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP. The countdown is on to fight time. This is Big Fight Weekend. Now, here is your host, T.J. Reeves. Indeed, indeed. Welcome back in. It is the holiday season, and we're back with another edition of our podcast that covers everything in and out of the ring. The sweet science, the fistic artwork that goes on inside of the boxing squared circle. I am merely the somewhat competent and capable host of this podcast. I look forward to special guests helping me break down everything going on this weekend in the preview mode, including World Unified Heavyweight Title Fight, the man that has three of the top organization's championships 
Anthony Joshua, who owns the WBA, IBF, and WBO heavyweight belts, back in the ring for the first time since last December when he reclaimed those titles in a rematch win over American Andy Ruiz, a 12-round decision. It's been delayed by COVID-19. It was originally supposed to be in the Tottenham Hotspur Soccer Stadium in front of 65,000 fans this past summer. Uh, But obviously the shutdown of the sport, the social distancing guidelines, the health concerns, this fight has been delayed all the way now into December because Eddie Hearn and Matchroom Boxing waited for as long as they could for could could we have some kind of crowd be at this thing. They are going to have about 1,000 people socially distanced inside the Wembley Arena, not the 90,000 inside of Wembley Football Stadium and Soccer Stadium. But it is going to take place with the IBF's number one contender, the aging Kubrat Pulev. What does he have left, if anything at all? I'm going to talk with a special guest from England, from Suffolk, England. Love David Payne and his insight, the boxing writer, boxingwriter.co.uk. He's got some 20-plus years in the sport as a journalist, as a writer, covering the sport. Love his insight, his historical perspective. He is right there in England, in the U.K., to give us some insight into Joshua Pulev. That's the main event. Sky Sports has the pay-per-view in Europe. DAZN streaming in the U.S., if you're a DAZN subscriber, has the fight uh, in the U.S. call of it. So that is coming Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, somewhere around 11, 11.30 London time. It will come off in the heavyweight title main event. And obviously, we'll talk more about this as the uh, interviews progress but Tyson Fury looming as the possible Joshua opponent. I have learned some stuff. Stay tuned for the end of the podcast. I'm going to talk about this with our senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, Marquise Johns, when he's with me later in the podcast, that the Deontay Wilder camp, the former WBC champ, they believe they can get a favorable arbitration ruling and get the contract back enforced for Wilder Fury to happen in February, if not February, March. Again, that's their optimism. Who knows how correct that's going to be. I'll talk more about that with Marquise in a bit. That could mess up Fury Joshua, which is kind of what my point is and what I'm uh, discussing here, uh, at least at this point on this podcast as we progress along. Fury would love to be free and clear to fight Joshua next April, May, something like that after this December uh, battle for uh, Joshua and Pulev that has been so delayed. All right, so we've got much to get to. Reminder, however you found us, social media link, sportsgamblingpodcast.com, their network feed of shows. Tip of the hat again to Sean Green, Ryan Kramer, and all those guys were associated, obviously, uh, with them. And SGP will have some odds on the fights and make some predictions a little bit later on with Marquise about the odds on these fights and what you should be paying attention to. Thanks to those guys. But however you found us, subscribe to the show. Subscribe to the podcast uh, via Apple Podcasts, via Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe to us. The preview mode, we automatically come to you wherever uh, you are finding podcasts. You'll get us automatically whenever this podcast is out. Late Thursday, Friday morning, heading towards the weekend. We're always previewing the fights. And if the fights are big enough, depending on what happens, we come back with a post-fight Big Fight Weekend podcast. For example, if Pulev stuns everybody and upsets Anthony Joshua, we're not going to wait till late next weekend to talk about this. Uh, No, no. We will instead come on with a post-fight podcast. I pledge that to you. Marquise and I will be ready to go. We probably will have a special guest come on to break it down with us. If Joshua wins, that's to be expected. I don't know that that rises to the level that it's big enough here at this point uh, for us to do a post-fight podcast. But we will come back around before Julio Cesar Chavez Uh, Or, excuse me, Canelo Alvarez. I got Chavez on the brain because he's got a a couple of historical fights for this weekend. But Canelo 
uh, Alvarez uh, back in action for the first time in 2020 next week. We will be in the preview mode for his fight with England's Callum Smith in San Antonio, Texas on the Big Fight Weekend preview for next weekend. Rest assured, we will be here for that. But subscribe, and whenever you subscribe, you'll automatically get the podcast. It'll come automatically to you whenever there is a new one on your notifications, on your phone, on your iPad, et cetera, et cetera. All right, so we've got a lot to get to. Uh, Again, David Payne's going to be up first. Marquise Johns with the full fight cards, including the Shakur Stevenson top rank fight card. He's the main event, the former U.S. amateur star, unbeaten former featherweight champ for the WBO. Also, there's a PBC on Showtime card from the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. We'll talk about all of those and preview all of those uh, with Marquise in the final segment. Let's get rolling. Lots on Joshua Pulev straight ahead as we talk with David Payne in England. A lot of boxing action across North America and in the UK. Let's get to it. Let's get it started. Yes, indeed. Much to discuss, much to catch up with, with uh, a guy that I always love conversing with on all subjects, but in particular when we start talking about the UK, when we talk about top British fighters, nostalgia, history, and all of this abroad, as we like to say, David Payne, the boxing writer, is always good to be with us on the Big Fight Weekend podcast, and also, uh, obviously, not only from his site, boxingwriter.co.uk, but also we get to pilfer, we get to borrow his stuff and put it up on bigfightweekend.com. That makes you a double threat, my friend. Kind of like in the old days of Bond, the villains were always a double or triple threat, and Bond was a double or triple threat. You are in that category. Good to have you the week of Anthony Joshua returning to fight the aging Bulgarian Kubrat Pulev coming Saturday night, defending his belts. We're going to get to that. How are you? Good to have you after that lengthy introduction. I'm very well, sir. Never been compared to a Bond villain before, but I can uh, sit and uh, rub my chin and look dangerous. But uh, it's great to be on the show again. Lots to talk about, as always. Looking back and looking forward, so good to be here. And would you compare yourself more to a Bond villain or more to Dr. Evil from the Austin Powers movies with... Uh... Mike Myers and company. I'm a, I'm a big fan of those. Don't get me started. I'll start quoting those the entire time. Fire the laser. We'll start. We'll just keep doing that the whole time. Uh, anyway, now that I have totally taken us off the rails less than two minutes, let's reel it back in. We will talk Joshua Pulev coming up Saturday night in the Wembley Arena. Small number of fans will be allowed socially distanced to be there. We'll get to all of that in the a unified World Heavyweight Championship title defense, the first of 2020 for Anthony Joshua, first time in the ring in 12 months. We'll get to that coming up. First, you're a nostalgic soul like I am. I wrote earlier in the midweek about the anniversary of Floyd Mayweather and one Ricky Hitman Hatton having fought in the United States in Las Vegas in December 2007. All right, you're perfect. Uh, to give us perspective on this. Yes, Mayweather won the fight. A lot of people don't remember. Both of them were unbeaten, combined 81-0 and 0 going into that fight. So I wrote about it, but I'd love to have your thoughts and your remembrance of it. It was quite a battle until Mayweather scored the knockout, ultimately. But what do you, when you think back on that, we, we uh, remarked on the anniversary. What do you remember about Hatton coming to the U.S. with thousands of British fans in attendance there, David? Well, yes, tens of thousands descended on the Vegas Strip. I don't think the Vegas Strip, um, for all the things it's seen, had ever seen anything like it. Um, It's still often talked about, I understand. The Hatton Invasion, I think it was referred to. Um, Yeah, it was a phenomenal um, 
prospect the fight. The fight didn't quite work out the way that I guess British fans and fans of Ricky Hatton style and perhaps those who don't celebrate Floyd Mayweather um, as much as others uh, would have liked. Um, so the, the reminiscences about the fight are a bit of sadness that we didn't quite get the fight we were hoping for. I guess in part that's Mayweather's brilliance. Um, I don't think it's uh, it's just the Brit in me saying that uh, I felt like Joe Cortez slightly spoilt the contest. Um, that might be sour grapes, I'm sure American fans might suggest, but... In, what, like, in uh, what way? In what way would you say? I think I think we can all recognise that Ricky Hatton's uh, an inside fighter. He's not going to beat you at long range with his jab. That's not what he was about. At the time, he was pretty close to peak, and he was ferocious, step inside, lots of fast punches, high output. He needed to be close to you. Um, and whenever he managed to work his way inside without being punished on the way in, which he was frequently, but when he did manage to work inside... It seemed like Joe Cortez was very eager to break it up, um, which, again, maybe a British standpoint, maybe influenced by British commentary, who knows. But having watched it back once or twice in the period since, and certainly highlights since, it, it felt that way. And I'm not suggesting that Hatton would have won, but it just felt like it uh, just removed the level playing field slightly. It, it eradicated a lot of Hatton's qualities and um, made... It made, it made it an easier victory for Mayweather. But obviously, there's no arguing with the left hook that he caught him with and planted him into that um, turnbuckle. Uh, that's obviously the thing that people remember most vividly about that fight. Yeah, and interesting in going back that Mayweather had fought Oscar De La Hoya the fight before, seven pounds up at 154 or junior middleweight and then come back down to fight Hatton. Give me some more perspective. This is what I love about you. I mean, he had been a tremendously successful champion, Hatton we're talking about, going into the Mayweather fight. It declined very quickly after that uh, knockout because he only fought four more times and was knocked out in each of the last two fights, and that was it. When we When we go back and we reflect, did he just, and we see this a lot of the time, did he just go off the cliff physically and skill-wise, from that Mayweather night on, what would you say? Um, well, I think just to, to, as a precursor to the answer to your question, um, I think the Hatton, I think as you point out, Mayweather had had a real tough fight with Oscar De La Hoya uh, at light middleweight uh, and come back down. And Hatton was stepping up, of course, from 140 pounds from the light welters. Um he was always a big light welter, so I don't think it was. A, I'm not suggesting it was a massive size disparity, obviously, because Floyd started at super feather, so has worked his way up through the weights as well. Um, but I always thought the best performances that we got from Hatton were at the ten stone, the seven pounds up. Didn't quite bring out his best, um, and I think he started as a very young professional. I think he was 18 when he turned pro. I think he boxed on a on a US card in his second or third fight from memory. He was um, very highly thought of and moved very steadily by Frank Warren, which is why he had such an enormous record. And I often make the point that some of his prime, I think, was potentially wasted before he got to the Costa Sioux fight in 2005. I think he had two, one or two many preparation fights and he expressed frustration himself. And I think, given his style, as we've mentioned already, ferocious, quick, um, a lot of output, high energy. I think that's a young fighter's style. Uh, so 
I think in the prelude to the zoo fight, he could have had one or two better opponents. I think he showed in the zoo fight probably his peak performance. And then he went on to have that great performance against Castillo, perhaps a faded Castillo at the time, but a terrific body shot that ended that. And I think that was his purple patch. I think by the time he got to Mayweather and the seven pounds up, he was probably just past that peak. I still felt he had a very good chance going into the fight, but just past that peak. Uh, and rather like his predecessor, McGuigan, who was another big fan favourite and another ferocious fighter, high energy. Um, once he got to that 27, 28 years of age, I don't think he was the same fighter he was at 24, 25. He was never going to be a fighter that was going to fight successfully, I felt, into his 30s. His style just wasn't made for that. Um, so I think there was a sense of inevitability. And as we all know, Ricky liked to live the life not the boxer's life, but the life <laughs> between fights. Um, again, which probably exacerbated that in respect of his longevity. Um, so he had a fantastic career, earned a lot of money, topped bills, had a huge following, enormously popular. Um, but uh, but that's Ricky's story. That's and he wouldn't he wouldn't have had that following if he wasn't the character he was. That's Ricky's story. It's no good saying, well, if he'd done this or he'd done that, he was what he was, and he was fantastic at his best. He just wasn't quite as good as Mayweather. And by the time he got to Pacquiao, I think he was definitely a step or two down from his best. And he's, he will confess himself that the preparation for the Pacquiao fight was all over the place in comparison to what it had been for Mayweather. So, sure. Uh, and Pacquiao hit him, obviously, with one thunderous punch in the second round, and that was done, which is what you're yeah. uh, alluding to on that. You're hearing the voice of David Payne with us, Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Love this man's insight and have for the better part of about two and a half years. You realize you've been hanging out, answering my calls, my pages, my direct messages, my texts for two and a half years, and he still does so. We even got to share a meal in the fall of 2019 when I was in England doing a Tampa Bay Buccaneer radio work for the National Football League in the U.S. and North America coming over to England to play a game. So I have, uh, I've got great affection for David, his insight, uh, and he's always uh, generous with his time with us here on the podcast. I promise we're getting to Joshua and Pulev after one more. Among, on this same subject, among the lighter weight fighters, with the understanding that the Frank Brunos or now the Joshua or the Fury, the heavyweight, is in a different category. If I've got Hatton down here and he's there, like you mentioned, with McGuigan or Prince Nassim Hamed, names that fight fans will recognize, where does he fall in? Where should he fall in? Uh, what do you think? Well, it depends. I suppose it depends on your index. It depends on your own your benchmarks. If you're looking for popularity and renown beyond the boxing, uh, inner boxing circles, then Hatton is up there with everyone. He's up there with um, Ben and Eubank and Bruno and Henry Cooper before them and McGuigan. He's, and perhaps beyond, in many ways, beyond them. Um, he'd probably be a more popular figure than someone like Calzaghe, etc., who he you know shared essentially the same time period with. Um, in terms of where he would fit in an all-time list, then he'd probably be a little further down um, because he, he didn't quite get over the line in those biggest fights. Um, but, yeah, his his name will ling, live long in folklore in British boxing. And I, and I think all of those other things aside, um, his wider life story, I think his record stands up to some decent scrutiny. He's beat some good names over a long period of time. He just didn't beat the great names. Costa Zoo, perhaps the exception, who was, who was a very good fighter, but that's that's his standout win. Um, 
So he'll, he'll be remembered long, and I think he should be remembered as a, an exceptional fighter, not just the, the Hatton mania, if you like, um, because uh, that would do him, him a, an injustice, really. No doubt. Um, all right, so we've waited long enough on the segue, but the very popular Anthony Joshua is back. First time, as I mentioned, in a year. We last saw him actually a year ago uh, at this time in Saudi Arabia recapture his uh, WBA, IBF, and WBO World Championships in the rematch with Andy Ruiz. So now for various reasons, uh, obviously COVID-19, obviously holding out, can there be some type of crowd to help with a live gate? This fight got pushed not only into the fall, but now into December and it will be happening this weekend with the IBF number one challenger, Kubrat Pulev. No snickering from David. Uh, Pulev at 39 years of age. Might have had a relevant victory in the last three or four years to be a number one ranked foe. Probably not. Anyway, he is in front of Joshua for this fight on Saturday. So the first question to you, we're taping this midweek, depending on when they're hearing us as the weekend unfolds. Is there some buzz in the UK on the telly, as you like to say, on in the uh, in the pubs? Are they buzzing about this yet? Do you believe that's building as the weekend comes? Uh, read it for us right now. You're there. Um, well, you haven't got ninety thousand people with a ticket in their hand, um, which is traditionally what you would have for a Joshua fight for the last two or three years. So there isn't a gate to sell. Um, they would have been long sold if there were. Um, I mean, Anthony Joshua could probably fight you and I and sell 60,000 tickets, let alone the 90 that he was traditionally doing. So um, Anthony Joshua has gone uh, above and beyond the usual profile of a, of a fighter here in the UK. Um, he's very much a, a Sky product, if you like, a box office product. Every fight he has is obviously pay-per-view. He's got all the main sponsors. He's on Google adverts, you know, and uh, Nike, Luke say, they just just every every um, uh, big line sponsor is behind him. So he's a regular face on our screens, even when 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 we're in lockdown, when we're inactive, etc. So <laughs> he's very much um, he's very much overlapped into the into the public uh, consciousness. Um, so you talk to the guy at the bus stop or the corner not that you can you've got to be two metres apart but if you do <laughs> he'll, he will know that Joshua's got a fight this weekend but are people excited are they aware of who Pulef is pretty obviously no um, if you try to mention that he's the number one contender it doesn't really mean anything does it beyond the, those of us who are nuts enough to try and keep up with all that stuff um, but I'm just pleased we've got a heavyweight fight I'm pleased Joshua's fighting I'm pleased he's going to get this contest in before Christmas. So, yes, it is a year, but it could quite easily have slipped by and we'd be looking at February, March, and then he's looking at nearly 18 months out of the ring and, you know, that becomes a different prospect, doesn't it? So I'm pleased that he's fighting. I'm pleased we're getting the show back on the road and I think there's about a 1,000 fans going to be able to get a ticket. Um, goodness knows what they'll end up paying for them with a the very um, convoluted way that people have to get tickets these days. They sell out instantly, and then they're available for five times the value on some. Exactly, part. it's all a bit weird, um, but it'll be good for those people that can get there. And let's hope that it's a step towards normality. Um, and he faces the Bulgarian great Kubrat. <laughs> Love Will that. You give the 
I got the I got the tinge of the sarcasm there from David Payne uh, with me. Uh, So, you know, it occurs to me while you were saying that, yes, he was fighting in front of 90,000 at Wembley Stadium when he took on Klitschko and a a couple of the other fights uh, in stadiums, whomever it is. But the last three, Madison Square Garden in the U.S. in an arena, a loss to Ruiz, Saudi Arabia in the Middle East. Uh, and now this one inside of a sports arena that's going to have a thousand fans. So it's definitely got to be different. For, it's been three different situations. And it's got to be different feel for him, different feel for both, but especially for him, because it almost seems as though with a lot of sport right now, that teams or individuals are missing the fans. Tiger Woods talked about this in golf, that I'm not feeding the same way off the crowd going berserk when I hit a great shot or a great putt. Pro sports teams in the U.S., I'm sure the same way in the U.K. with the Premier League, can't feed off the singing, loud, boisterous crowd. Joshua can't feed off what he's normally... Now, again, the last two times it hasn't been the British crowd. This will be the third straight time where it hasn't been the loud, boisterous crowd. So I guess my roundabout babbling leads to the question, how much do you think that affects him in this fight with Pulev that he doesn't have what he would normally have in this setting and in this title defense? Well... In my position as a qualified psychiatrist and psychologist, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll attempt to answer your question. From um, the armchair, ladies and gentlemen, here he is. Go. It's a perfectly, it's a valid question, and, and and it is interesting to try and speculate as to which one of them is going to benefit. As you say, typically in a sports environment, a team coming out to a huge home crowd, a partisan crowd, that creates something of a, an intimidation factor. Um, that in this in an individual sport, I don't know if that's less or more or worse or better for either party. Um, I suppose there's two ways of looking at it. On the one hand, he doesn't feed off that energy. He doesn't got that energy, but does that make it easier? Does that make it easier to just box to a game plan? He doesn't feel much different to high quality sparring. Does it remove some pressure? Does it enable him to box more smartly, take less risks, not fight with emotion, which is when Anthony tends to get into difficulties when it's entertaining for us, but when he starts smelling blood and he starts going for it and we start getting up and down as down to Dillian White, down against Klitschko, shaking up versus Provokin, in a bit of trouble with uh, Takam, you know, all these things are because he's trying to, he's feeding off that emotion and he's going a bit gun-ho. So it may be easier for him to box at distance, break Pulev down a bit slower, win later in the fight. On the other hand, it might be easier for Pulev. He's not walking out to 80,000, 90,000. He might be more relaxed. It might be, therefore, a more even contest early on. Who knows? It's, um, it's, it's easy to speculate or make a case both ways. Um, it would be better as a spectacle for all of us if there was a massive crowd there, I think. And I think whatever happens for Pulev, if he's successful and successful, if this is an exit door for him, if he does lose, as is widely predicted, what a way for him to go out you know, in front of 90,000 challenging for the World Championship. That's quite a thing to have been a part of, I guess, and not many people get that opportunity to. So I think it would be a shame for him, and I don't know the man, but perhaps he would prefer a bigger crowd. Again, you can make a case each and every way. No doubt but about that. And, and the you're, one... you're right right in the sense that in uh, Joshua's different environment that he encountered when he went to America, he didn't... He didn't do it awfully well. It didn't suit him for whatever reason. Whatever might have gone on in the background in the prelude, we'd, we'd, we'll never probably know. He's never made any excuses, which I think is to his great credit. But when he was in a smaller crowd, 
different environment, it didn't go well. He put it right in Saudi Arabia, some cautious moments, some moments when he looked vulnerable, a bit nervous and anxious. But I think that was more about the fighting than any change of environment. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's a little thread there that you could tug at if you wanted to try and build up Kulov's chances, I guess. Well, and the one thing that I keep thinking, and I, and I can interject, you said it may be to his advantage, Pulev. I think it absolutely is to his advantage that all Anthony Joshua would have to do is make an ugly face at him or glare at him, and the British crowd's going to go crazy and throw a punch at him, and they're going to go even crazier. And so as the fight goes on, anything he does, and it's the same with anybody else. I mean, perfect example, lesser level. The Errol Spence fight, which we haven't talked about with you in this conversation, last weekend in his backyard in Arlington, Texas, in the Dallas Cowboys football stadium, had 16,000 fans there. As Spence began to open up and throw the jab and throw punches, they were on their feet and going berserk. The 16,000 sounded like a loud, boisterous crowd and so my point is, I think he fed off that. I think he began to get inspired, got back in the groove, if you will. It's an American phrase, Spence. And I think it helped him. In this case, if Pulev is doing well and, and whatever Joshua does isn't being screamed about, roared about, he's not feeding off of it. I think that's advantage Pulev if it comes to that. Um, and it's and it's natural with all of sports. So I'm, just, I'm using the Spence thing as a reference point the well, other night because we've had so little with the sterile environments, David. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think the other thing that um, occurs is if it was a distance fight, if it becomes a distance fight, if we're talking about scoring rounds, um, we perhaps have to touch on the the idea that the crowd can influence the judges sitting ringside. Of course, um, you know, a couple of pitter patter jabs and a big cheer from the back of the crowd that think his head's gone back and whatnot, and it, there's the subconscious influence on 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 the on the judges. Um, Personally, and I, I think it's probably, again, widely shared, don't anticipate the judges having much to do, um, which I'm, I must qualify. I'm not dismissing Pulev as a, an incompetent guy or someone who's not credible as a top 10, top 15 sort of operator who's been around a long time. Um, but I don't anticipate this going 12 rounds. All right, so on that point... You, you wrote about this, plug away again here for you for BoxingWriter.co.uk. You wrote about this midweek. We put it out on our site on BigFightWeekend.com that Pulev does not pose the same threat that Andy Ruiz posed and turned out to be successful with. Elaborate on that. It's important. Well, um, pe- people may knock their eyebrows a little bit at that because in the last fight, obviously, Andy Ruiz turned up in terrible shape, unprepared taking the Buster Douglas buffet option uh, to prepare for the fight, which is admitted and conceded in the aftermath. Um, right. But he still naturally had fast hands. So when he was able to catch his breath for long enough to actually throw some punches, he still threw fast punches. He still had good technique, and he's, and he's got good variety in what he does. He just couldn't do it enough. He couldn't prolong the effort, etc., etc. couldn't move his feet quick enough. But, you know, it was still there. And... Pulev is a totally different type of heavyweight. He's just straightforward, 17 and a half stone, six foot five, six foot four, six foot five. European heavyweight. He's not as stiff as some European heavyweights we've seen, but he's got that general sort of style. Um, and he's very one two, one two, one one two. You know, jab jab cross, jab cross, jab cross. There's not massive variety in his work. Occasional body shot with no uppercuts. There's not a lot of left hooks. So he's very straight at you. So. He doesn't pose stylistically the problems that Ruiz um, puts 
puts forth, and he doesn't have any single quality that Joshua really needs to be wary of. Um, he's pretty durable, but his feet are fairly pedestrian, his punches are fairly pedestrian, and he's not a clean one-punch knockout artist. So Joshua will not want to take big shots, he'll not want to take big right hands, but he will probably see them coming, and if they do, there is not the evidence that Pulev will spark you flat out in the way that perhaps a Wilder would do or or somebody else. Uh, so there is a lot less, I think, for Joshua to worry about in this fight. He's, uh, the sparring will have been much easier to find to mimic what um, Pulev's going to do. And the pace will be whatever pace Joshua wants it to be. Because Pulev is also not a big output guy. He's average. Um, I'm really watching the um, Booker fight today from this time last year. I wouldn't, unless you want to have a nod, you know, get to sleep. You're suffering with amnesia. I wouldn't encourage you to look it up. <laughs> For the purpose of research, I thought, let's watch Pulev's Les Dowling. Um, and Booker's an interesting guy. I'm sure he's a fascinating person to talk to. Right. Um, but uh, Pulev's, everything's slow. Everything's a bit ponderous. Technically, he's, he's organised, but everything's slow. And um, I just don't, I don't see... Joshua having having any anything to worry about here, so I think he's going to right. dictate the pace. So, so let the me. Point was, the point I was going to make, sorry, I lost my. It's okay. Is that um, in the book of fight, the commentary team pointed out that over his career, according to CompuBox, um, he's a kind of thirty-five punches around sort of guy, which is well below the average for the heavyweight division of about forty-five. I'm not a big statistics person. Mm-hmm. I think we overvalue statistics, but it kind of shows you a pace of act- action we can expect. So I think Joshua's going to dictate the pace, which will suit him, I think, and he will look better do- in, in you know that kind of fight. I love it, and I wasn't trying to interrupt. I'm trying to uh, revolve this around an either-or scenario. Do you believe this is over fairly quickly where Joshua realizes he doesn't, Pulev, have the fast hands, he can't hit me the same way that Ruiz did, solves him, gets in there, gets him out, or is it more likely that we see still a tentative Joshua who hasn't fought in a year, who's trying to figure him out and maybe takes a while to figure him out, and this thing goes eight rounds, ten rounds, and it's not the most exciting thing ever? Which way would you come down? If you had to wager between the two, over quickly with Joshua solving him quickly or takes a while to eventually solve him? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I was... I was, before I watched the fight today, the Booker fight, I was more inclined to think that we would probably have more rounds. I was more inclined to think that Joshua would perhaps still have some of those demons. He showed some anxiety against Ruiz, and I thought perhaps he might try to box really carefully, just box from range, um, make sure he puts some points in the bank, discourage Pulev, assume he's a fresher, younger um better kind of stamina guy in the fight and wait for Pulev to wilt, make sure he could, there was no surprises coming and perhaps take over and force a stoppage later on. Um, having watched Pulev again today, um, I'm more inclined to think that Joshua might go a little bit harder and a bit faster earlier. Um, I think from a, and this shouldn't really influence how he works because it's causing problems in the past, but I think there's a, there will be a desire to show some dominance. He got the Ruiz thing out of his system. He got all the belts back for whatever they're worth. Um, but he got all the belts back. He righted the wrong. And he boxed to a game plan and he got through and he, and he got back to where he needed to get to. And I think this fight is more about him showing that he's the knockout guy again. He's the heavy artillery guy again. 
he needs to put a big fella on his backside, lay somebody out and sort of rekindle that whole energy that was behind him of him being an exciting heavyweight and a heavyweight people want to come see and building up his uh, the, the kind of insider um, belief that he, him versus Fury is very much a 50-50 fight. I think at the moment, most of us would be inclined to think that Fury has everything he needs to beat somebody like Joshua, even the best of Joshua. But I think if you see Pulev flat out after three rounds, there's a lot more energy sure. behind storyline that Joshua is a, is, a, is a killer, is a knockout guy, and if he cracks Fury, then he'll go. So I, I'm expecting, actually, Joshua to jump on him pretty fast and, make, and set an, a, a, a pace that Pulev doesn't like to box at. That's my new feeling. But, All right. you know, we're recording midweek. By Friday, <laughs> Could change, just like American politics, could change eight more times by Saturday, uh, for sure. More, uh, more moments here, a few more moments with David Payne, the boxing writer, boxingwriter.co.uk. Follow him. He's a great follow at the boxing writer on social media, on Twitter. We love conversing with him on the podcast. We love reading him on his site and repurposing his stuff on our site uh, as well. couple more fun ones. All right. If 10 is that it absolutely happens on the scale, one or zero is there is no chance that it happens. The chance that Pulev rocks Anthony Joshua, maybe even scores a flash knockdown, is what on the David Payne scale? I think rocks him. Two. Okay. I think puts him down. Zero. Um, Negative one? He can't. I can't go zero. <laughs> Joshua being down. Pulev has knocked people down. He's a 250-pound heavyweight. I can't go zero. I just, but his punches are slow. I, I just can't see him catching Joshua clean. And he doesn't have the variety to, to capitalize, I don't feel, uh, if, he, if he makes some sort of breakthrough. But I don't think you can ever rule out a guy this size cracking someone on the chin and, and potentially putting them down and certainly putting them in some trouble. Um, but Joshua has kind of been around the block a bit now. Um, has had that vanity of the zero goal, and I think, I think he'll be able, hopefully a more mature, more rounded fighter, a little bit less panicked under pressure, and um, and be able to work through any moments like that. I just, but I just don't see the hand speed for it to happen. Ruiz caused problems because of his hand speed and his variety, and Pulev just doesn't have those two things. Well put on all of that. One more. Marquise is going to be with me after we are done talking more about all the fights this weekend, all the fight cards, as always. But on this bill, on this card, is there another fight or fighter that intrigues you at all here with this? I know you were saying uh, a little bit to me before, but what what about it for our audience here? Anything? Okay. Well, um, again, I can be a bit of a counterculture person sometimes. Uh, so I, I like the people that some people don't like and I like Huey Fury who's the cousin of Tyson Fury who's a young guy he's 26 years old and he's had some issues in his early career that again turned over very young so I was a, a late teenager I believe um, uh, but he's 26 years old and he's had three three shots at good fighters um, lost a squeaky one with Joseph Parker he's fought Kubrat Pule from taking him to points uh, and he's fought Povetkin and taken him to points. And that and that result looks a lot more favourable now. Povetkin's knocked out Dillian White. So um, he's on the undercard. He's fighting a giant Polish fella called Marius Vak, who, again, has been around the block. Um, he's a great big target, throws loads of punches. 
but he's not he's he's not hard to miss. Sorry, I'll get that right. He's easy to hit. He's hard to miss. That's what I meant. That's true. And I'll even interject slow as molasses at this point. He is aging. He is not going to be able to get out of the way, and he doesn't throw lightning fast punches, so he's a target. He's definitely a target. He's a target, but what he isn't, I don't believe, is uh, a punch bag. He will come and throw some punches, and if you knock him down, you knock him down, but if he cracks you, you're going to know you've been cracked. So he's a fun fighter. He's never going to be a world champion, should never probably have challenged for a title, but He's a fun fighter to watch because he's game and he'll have a go. Huey Fury's problem is he's super cautious. He tries to win fights without really having a fight. He throws not enough punches in a round. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a curious guy, but he's got pretty quick hands. He's got more power than I think we've seen so far. And I think as he matures now, 26, I think still think he has potential to be a nuisance um, as a heavyweight. And obviously he's got that name. Only cousins, trained by uh, his dad, Peter, who formerly trained Tyson. And I just think that's a real nice styles clash. You've got the up-and-comer, Fury, 26. Can he can he, can he he be more aggressive? Can he be more dominant uh, in this fight? And can he duck and dive around Marius Vax's wild swings? And, you know, I, I just find that it's an interesting prospect. It's not world-class, world-class. It's not a, an eliminator. It's just contrasting styles, different stories. Should be fun. So I'm quite looking forward to that. We'll see. That's one for you. We appreciate your insight on that. We appreciate your insight on the main event, which again will be Saturday afternoon, U.S. time, Saturday night in the U.K. Anthony Joshua back after a 12-month layoff, pandemic, and everything put into place to fight Kubrat Pulev. Who knows what comes his way in 2021 if he is victorious? Might there be a Tyson Fury fight looming fairly uh, soon after this? We'll see. We don't know that right now. But, David, great stuff. One more time, plug away because we love reading you. We love having you on the podcast. Tell the fight fans more that are hearing us about where they can read us, uh, read you, and uh, and catch more of, uh, of your insight and your humor, etc., uh, including bemoaning Forrest, Nottingham, Forest, the uh, soccer uh, team in uh, football in in England, tell them more about how they read you, how they find you. I think you've you've covered that very generously already, TJ. But um, boxingwriter.co.uk, and I'm usually to be found on Twitter in my free moments on at the boxing writer. So, uh, but as TJ says, always happy to appear on Big Fight Weekend podcast and on your site too, TJ. So, uh, thank you for the invitation again. Always love being with you. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, TJ. And there we go. David Payne's insight on everything with Joshua Pulev. Still to come, Marquise Johns will be breaking down not only Joshua Pulev and the matchroom fight card in London, but Shakur Stevenson headlining and what's a pretty good top-to-bottom top-ranked card from the Las Vegas bubble. They're back, even though it's non-title fights. Marquise will have the breakdown on that, as well as the PBC on Showtime cards Saturday night, Mohegan Sun Casino in upstate Connecticut. Look forward to talking with him all about that coming up here on the podcast. It is time to talk to you about MyBookie.ag. MyBookie wants you to know it's the most wonderful time of the year, even though the year can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win at the end of 2020, don't we? We deserve a little extra money in our pockets. Well, the only place that you're guaranteed to get it all is through mybookie.ag. They're not only just the sports book, 
But they take care of you whether you're naughty or nice, and they've got gifts for everyone by betting the NFL or when the NBA starts up or all your college uh, football and basketball and much more. Sign up today and get the ultimate stocking stuffer, 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's a great place to start just by using our promo code SGP. You put 100 bucks in, you get 50 from my bookie. You put 500 in, you get 250 all the way up to $1,000 on the 50% match. So for all of these different games in pro football, college winding down, you've got the college football playoff uh, coming up as well, the NBA starting again, head over to my bookie, make the most of the holidays this year, and strut into 2021 with cash in your pocket. Remember that promo code SGP. Get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. This winter, bet with the best. Bet with mybookie.ag and the promo code SGP. And we're also brought to you in part by Thrive Fantasy, the daily fantasy sports app for player props. And just in time for the holidays, as part of the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows, we're teaming up with Thrive Fantasy for an awesome SGP merchandise bundle. Send in a screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy's promo code SGP and signing up for Thrive Fantasy, and you've got a chance to win $100 in Sports Gambling Podcast merchandise. So email your screenshot of you joining Thrive Fantasy using our promo code SGP. Send it to podcast at sportsgamblingpodcast.com with the screenshot, and you've got a chance to win 100 bucks for the holidays in SGP merchandise. All right, so with Thrive, you eliminate the countless hours of all the research every which direction on Daily Fantasy, and instead in the NFL, choose 10 of the 20 available player props, build your lineup, and get into the contest to play. And real quick, here are some props that I like this week for Thrive Fantasy. That includes my Buccaneers. You're going to hear me talking more about them with Dan Leach coming up in our YouTube roundtable segment. Bucks hosting the Minnesota Vikings. Tom Brady's uh, under-over prop is 290 passing yards through Thrive Fantasy in the app and thrivefantasy.com. I like the over in this one with him to be angry against the Vikings off the bye week. Everybody throwing slings and arrows at Brady, having lost three home games in a row. Give me Brady with the over on the passing yards uh, in that one. Uh, A couple of other ones that I like. I've been big uh, so far this year on Deshaun Watson. They're hosting, or they're actually playing at Chicago against the Bears or the Houston Texans. 295 combined pass and rush yards. Bears defense has been giving up a lot of yardage, but I think this is going to be a cooler weather game with the uh, Texans playing outside. Give me... Uh, the under on the 295 combined yards on Deshaun Watson passing and receiving. I think they'll hold him down. It's going to be tough for Houston to get anything done against that defense. Uh, By the way, how good is the pass-catching been of Darren Waller of the Las Vegas Raiders? They are playing at home with the Indianapolis Colts uh, coming up. Waller right now on Thrive Fantasy 6.5 is the under-over on receptions in the game. That might be a little too steep there. I might take the under, but he has been such a big play weapon for Derek Carr as a tight end. Darren, uh, Darren Waller's one to watch out for. I just don't know that he gets to seven or more catches in this game against a good Colts defense, so I'm probably taking the under. So there are some examples of what you can do with Thrive Fantasy. Thrive has given out over $100,000 the last couple of weeks in guaranteed prizes, and they're continuing to give it out 
uh, right now, if you get these successful props and enter their contest, they've paid out over $250,000 in cash prizes so far this season. Uh, with Thrive Fantasy. So again, sign up with Thrive Fantasy. Use our promo code SGP. And if you're a first-time depositor, you get a match up to 50 bucks when you put in. Get an instant match up to $50 on your initial deposit. So again, go get Thrive Fantasy in the Apple Store, in the Google Play Store. Download it. Find out more of the rules and regulations at thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and prop up today. Use our promo code SGP. We are also brought to you in part by BetterThan.Vegas. It's an all-new, completely free website sharing thousands of handicapping videos. It's like YouTube, but it's for what the DGENs only care about. Of course, the DGENs only all part of the Sports Gambling Podcast, the network fleet of shows. The best part is you get to watch all the video picks from the Sports Gambling Podcast network crew and what they're posting exclusively over on BetterThan.Vegas. They cover all sports, the NFL, college football, college basketball nba will be here soon as well if the free video picks aren't enough they're giving away cash one thousand dollars to the handicapper that wins the most units and a thousand dollars to the handicapper that has the most followers make sure you subscribe on the sports gambling podcast network page sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash btv better than vegas btv sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash btv so you don't miss out on any of these videos head over to better than dot vegas that's better than dot vegas to see more and if you've ever thought of owning your own sports book but you didn't know how ace per head is here to help you start it up they'll provide you with an all-inclusive professional betting site with all the lines updated up to the second and wagers graded immediately they've got top-notch customer service going 24 7 some of the sharpest lines in the industry and plus ace per head also has live betting and a great mobile experience you can get started today Ace is offering six weeks free, by the way. Go to aceperhead.com slash SGP. That's aceperhead.com slash SGP to find out more. We are also brought to you by our friends at Smack Apparel. Get in your opponent's face with these outstanding theme shirts, as I was talking about earlier at the beginning of the podcast, at smackapparel.com, no matter who you root for. I mean, it's been a big year so far, obviously, for the likes of the Chiefs and the Packers and the Saints, and hey, the Cleveland Browns are even doing amazing things. We're going to have more on that as the podcast goes along. You can root for your own team, but you can also hate on your enemy. If you're a Browns fan, you're anti-Steelers at this point, and obviously so. The same thing if you're a Packer fan, you despise the Lions, the Vikings, and the Bears. We get it. Same thing if you root for the Giants or you root for the Eagles. You have to hate the Dallas Cowboys. That's what it's all about with Smack Apparel. And right now, we got a great promo code offer for the holidays. Uh, in fact, indefinitely right now, through the holiday season and the end of the year and into the college football playoff in the NFL, just use our promo code TAG. Go to, go to uh, the discount uh, code section when you go to checkout and put the promo code TAG in, and you're going to get uh, 30% off right now just with that discount with the promo code TAG. So, again, any merchandise, whether you're pro-New England Patriots, whether you're anti-Seattle Seahawks, in my case, I love the Buccaneers, the Tampa Bay stuff that they have at Smack Apparel, but you can back Baker Mayfield, you can back Aaron Rodgers, uh, whomever you want to back, or go against Big Ben, Ben Roethlisberger, go against the Dallas Cowboys, get in your opponent's face. These are hilarious shirts for the NFL. College football, too. Whether you're yelling Roll Tide, whether you're hating on the Fighting Irish, you might love Dabo's 
Sweeney. You can't stand the Buckeyes in Ohio State. All those teams in the college football playoff mix from Gators to uh, to Aggies to Oklahoma Sooners and on and on. Check it all out at Smack Apparel. And again, you can go check out on Smack Apparel all the great selection. Just remember our promo code TAG. TAG will save you 30% off any of the products on the website that are already up and out there. So again, go to the discount section, smackapparel.com slash discount, and the promo code is TAG. Uh, for that. So again, with Smack Apparel, they've been uh, talking the talk since 1998. And we are there with them as part of Three Dog Thursday and all of our podcasts through the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of shows. Again, remember our promo code TAG and get in your opponent's face. Have fun. Talk the talk with Smack Apparel. We're back on Big Fight Weekend. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. We do come back in. Senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com. Mr. Marquise Johns is back with me on the podcast as we get ready for the weekend. And the, the intrigue, the interesting fights continue. Hey, before we get to more of the fight cards this weekend, I touched on briefly at the beginning of the podcast, Errol Spence's victory. Um, how impressive he looked for the first time since the horrific car crash out of the ring over a year. Gets the decision win over Danny Garcia. I gave a couple of thoughts. Give me a thought or two before we get more into the preview mode of what's happening Saturday here. What did you think of Spence and what was a unanimous decision performance? I thought it was pretty good, TJ, from Spence to see that he pretty much solved in the first three rounds uh, how was he going to look after the car accident. And Danny Garcia to his credit, was throwing about as many punches as he possibly could. He just couldn't land anything or do anything whatsoever. And Spence took the fight away from him, and that was pretty much a wide decision once it was all said and done. That right jab of Spence, again, he was not spectacular. He didn't land a lot of devastating punches, but that jab was the difference in the fight. He owned Danny Garcia with that jab. And I think another point, love to have your follow-up, I think it's rather obvious, for all the success that he had at 140, Danny Garcia clearly has not been able to beat any of the best fighters at 147, from Sean Porter to Keith Thurman now to Errol Spence, right? I mean, we can pretty much say game over on trying to establish yourself. You've had three shots on the biggest stage at welterweight and didn't come close to winning any of the three fights. Absolutely, TJ. Now, when the thing with Garcia, which and he's probably going to hate to hear this, where he's kind of stuck at that level where he's officially on that rung below where it's not championship level, where he's going to be just another guy at 147, as opposed to being the guy that's going to be contending for any world titles in, in, in the near to distant future. Yeah, and so everybody wants to know, and you wrote earlier this week enough already, are you going to sing Let It Go here on the podcast? You're not going to sing Let It Go, but you wrote Let It Go like Frozen about Spence and Crawford. Uh, we, we will continue to say this. I will continue to say this, that until Terrence Crawford is willing to sign a multi-fight deal with premier boxing champions, he's not going to get a glance from Heyman Promotions, from Errol Spence, or from, from uh, P, you know PBC and, and any of their pay-per-view arms. It's not going to happen. So... Uh, I do find it fascinating, and Errol Spence hit him right between the eyes figuratively with, I don't know what he's doing here at my fight. I don't come to any of his fights. So <laughs> so I think it was a great point after this was over with that, that Crawford is clearly gripping and chasing a fight that he's not going to get unless he wants to do a multi-fight deal with PBC. Uh, I, I mean, uh, Marquise, follow up on that. Do you, do you, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't see... 
There's no indication that they're going to deal with Bob Arum, his fighters, with Eddie Hearn and his fighters on a regular basis. They're going to ignore Crawford unless he's with them. Pretty much, TJ. Crawford is honestly on the outside looking in still until either he jumps the fence and joins with PBC or signs with them. Because at this point, uh, Spence is look like everybody else is going to go after Pacquiao. Pacquiao with PBC as well. He is still old, by the way, with PBC, TJ, as, you would, as we both know. Pacquiao still has a one uh, another fight, decent enough fight or two on his deal with PBC specifically. So Lord knows he's not going to jump ship on that unless there's something out of the ordinary coming out, unless someone's going to throw way too much money at him, like something wacky like a Conor McGregor nonsense. So Pacquiao is chasing Spence. Spence is chasing Pacquiao. At this point, TJ, for Crawford, his best bet will be just to sit once they mention with Top Rank, let his contract run out and see if he gets a fight at that point with PBC. And even when he signs with PBC at that point, TJ, they were still mentioning names that weren't Errol Spence. They were mentioning names like Sean Porter or that right. point Keith Furman. So Crawford is uh, at this point really not. Well, on but I mean, Spence's honestly, radar. if he gets and maybe maybe Spence and Crawford, uh, I'm sorry, maybe Spence and Sean Porter are going to rematch from what was a hotly contested, entertaining fight September of 2019. So maybe they are going to rematch. If they're not, the Porter fight is an intriguing fight for Crawford. And frankly, it's a better fight than any of his last three fights that he's had under the top rank umbrella. Uh, so let's see if that one uh, potentially takes place here or, or what happens with that. But again, kudos to Errol Spence for answering and silencing a lot of doubt as to, and I'm sure some self-doubt until he got back in there uh, in the live fire. Hey, what do you make? I was saying this to David Payne. And we really have not seen very much of this, uh, but we did see it with the uh, crowd at AT AT&T Stadium. He seemed to feed off that crowd a little bit. And and so much of the resumption of boxing for the last six months or so, there's there's been no crowd to feed off of. And this will be the case when we get into the Joshua Pulev fight again, and I, and I talked to you about it. It seemed to me, though, that Spence fed off of that some. They seemed, when he began to land a big punch or two, they rose to their feet, they made noise. You could audibly hear the noise on the Fox pay-per-view. Marquise, what's your assessment? Absolutely, TJ. Pretty much with these fighters, especially the people behind them, we we we've got a condition courtesy of the pandemic of these bubble shows and the fight spear and fighting, you know, crowdless with no fans and the fake TV sound effects and all that nonsense. But at the end of the day, TJ, boxing is a, a sport with two people getting punched pretty much in the face behind people behind them cheering and booing. So much so, like even when when I had uh, Terrence Crawford at the pay per view last weekend, being booed on the jumbotron, stuff like that happens <laughs> when you have people in the event. They, they couldn't just pump, the, pump in fake sound effects when they boo Terrence Crawford on, the, on like, like that party CD stock CD. So he fed off of it. It's well known. And it's what, they, and it's, it's what the sport needs. And I'm hoping sooner or later, once this pandemic subsides and we help get more shows with fans back in and we can get back to, back to some sort of normalcy around this. Well, uh, there will be some fans, uh, obviously, at Joshua Pulev. But again, right back in Texas, by design, in San Antonio, for this Canelo Alvarez-Callum Smith fight, there will be something in the neighborhood of 10,000, 12,000 fans that will obviously go bonkers and make some noise at anything Canelo does. And that obviously is a factor for these fights. So let's, let's move on to what we have on the fight cards 
for this weekend. We'll circle back to Joshua Pulev, which again is prime time somewhere around 11.30 London time, 11, 11.30 London time, uh, roughly 6, 6.30 East Coast time in the United States is when Joshua Pulev will happen. We'll come back to that one last because we've talked a lot about it already on the podcast. I want to tee you up for the top-ranked show in Las Vegas, Shakur Stevenson, non-title, junior lightweight, 130-pound contender fight. Uh, the unbeaten former uh, featherweight champ, WBO featherweight champ, former U.S. amateur star. Tell me more about this matchup in the Las Vegas top rank bubble at the MGM Grand. Absolutely, TJ. For Secure Stevenson, it's, it's another fight for him to stay busy at 130. Hopefully, and the talk about this fight at 130 for Stevenson is that now that uh, we found out the winner of the uh, team with Mima Lopez-Lomachenko fight a couple of months back, he wants Lomachenko, and that was expected as well once you think about it. He thinks he can beat Lomachenko much like anybody else does at 130 now that he saw him lose to Tiafimo. So he wants to get past uh, Toka Clary, which I think he should handily, actually. And then we'll see what happens from there to see if Lomachenko does move back down to 130 like I was telling you months ago, TJ, which I've been speculating forever, and see if he wants this fight with uh, Secure Stevenson. Uh, interesting on the on the odds. We reference this because we're part of the Sports Gambling Podcast network of shows uh, and uh, and sportsgamblingpodcast.com. Shakur Stevenson, overwhelming, minus 6,000 uh, favorite here. Basically, you you got to you got to wager a uh, hundred bucks. Uh, well, what I'll I'll try to help myself here on the math. It's minus sixty on the odds. So for every dollar, uh, it's going to take sixty dollars to be able to win a dollar here in this instance. So he's he's the overwhelming betting favorite. He's supposed to win big Ooh. time. Uh, but we'll say stay away from that one. It'll be much more interesting on a couple of these other fights on whether we take any of the wagers uh, on that. Uh, what th- This is also the most intriguing top-to-bottom card, right, of any of the fight cards this weekend. This one definitely has some interesting fights on the undercard. Absolutely, TJ. I'm starting with the undercard below that one. Uh, Edgar Berlanga, the guy who's been knocking everybody out in one round or less, is back in action, TJ. He faces Luis Sierra. Now, Sierra, for the most part, during uh, the, the, the pre-fight walk buildup to this says he's going to give him a trouble he's been training for four months for this one <laughs> totally different conversation Defi- we've heard from a lot of these define give him trouble is defining giving him trouble meaning he hears the bell for the second round is that giving him at, trouble <laughs> at this point teacher that may be the case and it's interesting because berlinga at the, pre- the the final presser today was being kind of bizarre about things it wouldn't take his mask off didn't really want to answer the question that uh, the top rank uh, chinook guy was talking about was kind of was kind of the highlight of the of the final presser actually. So we'll see if he can back up the weirdness with another first round knockout again. And also the one fight, well, there's two fights on this card actually. I think have actually some significant interest. Uh, the old snatcher Clay Collard on the undercard on the plus version of this is back in action against Quincy Lavalius. Spoke to Collard months ago, TJ, about this fight. He thought he won the first one. I saw the video of it and I talked watched it with him. He won the first fight, TJ. He got robbed. It was a hometown decision for Quincy. So he wants he wants his revenge on that part. And this was a fight that was supposed to take place originally on the Tiafimo Lopez Lomachenko card, but he caught COVID. Collard, I'm, I'm referring to, so they had to reschedule it. Uh, the also the, the main fight of any, any actual competition, which is the classic crossroads fight on this card, is uh, Felix Verdejo against uh, Masadabi Nakatani. Uh, not, people know Nakatani as the guy who faced Tiafima Lopez before he faced Richard Kami last year on the same card that Dadasha passed away on. That's he's that's who Felix is facing in a fight that may give him an opportunity if Verdejo wins this, may fight uh, Tiafima Lopez at some point next year after the IBF mandatory that Tiafima Lopez has if he stays at 135. 
against uh, George Cambosis Jr. next year. So keep keep all that in mind and play on Saturday night once it's ESPN. And you, uh, you've written about several of these fighters on BigFightWeekend.com. Berlanga, obviously, it's what, 15 first-round knockouts in a row. Uh, he knocked out Lanell Bellows, KO Bellows, got KO'd in the first round of his last fight <laughs> a couple months ago. So, uh, again, the record at the beginning of a career for uh, first-round knockouts, I believe it's 24. Four, I believe you wrote that before. It's either 24 or 21. He's not near the record yet, but he's going for a 16th consecutive first-round knockout to begin the career is Edgar Berlanga in this super middleweight fight. Uh, Collard, uh, again, off of COVID-19, kind of became a bubble favorite because he won, what, four fights before now in the Vegas bubble? At least three. I think it's four yeah. fights total for the it's year and three around. of them in the bubble. Uh, so he's got another chance in the Vegas bubble for top rank. Uh, and I know you're also interested in Elvis Rodriguez. Elvis in the building, as you wrote in your story. Uh, Elvis undefeated, up-and-coming young welterweight uh, six-round fight for that one as well as well on the top rank card. All right, so moving along here on the podcast, we've got the Showtime PBC card. You wrote at the time that we are recording this podcast about Chris Colbert in the main event. Uh, junior lightweight 12-round WBA interim whatever it is belt. Uh, Colbert fighting Jaime Arboleda. Um, mm-hmm. Not really heard of him, but you got a chance to talk with Colbert, and you wrote about this on BigFightWeekend.com. Tell me more, including some humor. Absolutely, TJ. Talk to primetime Chris Colbert uh, before, before, on, for Big Fight Weekend. Have that up on the site as well. Uh, going into this fight against uh, Jaime Arbadola, you got it right. Uh, what The deal with him is he Arbadola was last in action on the uh, the annual Gary Russell Jr. fight card, TJ, back in February on Showtime uh, <laughs> against Jason Velez. Uh, pretty much a, one of those guys that just keeps coming at you. And Chris Colbert pretty much told me flat out that that's, that's his only game plan. He's, he wants to knock him out. Pretty much similar to what he did against um, Miguel Beltran last year in that knockout that he had in the first round last year on that Fox card. So Colbert wants to also become uh, what does win. Uh, the guy in the name of the conversations at 130, he meant he wouldn't give me any names. And he wouldn't uh, pretty much tell me who he wants for the most part, but he mentioned names like at one top the top at 130. He mentioned Jamel Herring, the Santa Cruz's, the Tank Davises. His version of the WBA interim, whatchamafoosit, uh, long story short, <laughs> has him ranked as pretty much the number one, the number one mandatory uh, for the WBA. What that means in English, TJ, is your your guess is my answer on that. But essentially, it's the same chain of command where it may pay, pace him down the line against Tank Davis at some point. Well, and again, uh, Santa Cruz had the WBA belt, and uh, Davis and Santa Cruz fought at 130, even though Davis had fought previously at 135. So Davis technically has the belt, but the belief is he'll still fight at lightweight at 135. Uh, and you mentioned Herring is going to fight Carl Frampton in January as well. Mm-hmm. But in that case, that's top rank fighter and MTK global uh, fighter over in, in uh, Europe, over in the UK in Frampton. So opposite promotions again to be able to make that happen. Colbert, by the way, as we go to the mybookie.ag odds, minus 1480 to beat uh, Arboleda. Arboleda plus 890 in the main event in the uh, in the Showtime three-fight bubble that they have at the Mohegan Sun coming on uh, on Saturday. All right, so 
We move in the chronology to the most important and the most significant. We save the best for last. Anthony Joshua, world unified heavyweight title fight with the WBA, WBO, and IBF belts on the line against now 39-year-old Kubrat Pulev, who one time unsuccessfully challenged Vladimir Klitschko back, what, about five years ago for the belt Mm -hmm. and was knocked out. Pulev, the IBF number one contender. They've been trying to make this fight uh, for the entire year, delayed by COVID-19, uh, delayed because Eddie Hearn and Matchroom wanted to wait as long as possible. Could there be some crowd? The answer now is they can have a 1,000 fans socially distanced Saturday night in London in the Wembley Arena. David Payne and I talked a lot about this fight. Your thoughts on Joshua's first fight in 12 months and whether Pulev can really threaten him. What do you think, Marquise Johns? It's amazing, TJ. We waited all year for the annual Anthony Joshua fight uh, at heavyweight, and we get his IBF mandatory and 39 going on 50 Kubat Pulev uh, for our troubles. The one thing, TJ, and I remember we, we and you have joked about this on this podcast with several guests on here. I think Rhino here comes to mind personally where his interest in the fight back when we had him on, I think a couple of times beforehand, was like at negative 10. I'm increasing it to about negative 4.5 at this point, only because at this point it, it gets Pulev out the way one way or another, which leads up to the ever so speculation and the hoopla, which will begin up once uh, Joshua stops uh, uh, Pulev, the Tyson Fury mega fight that they've been talking about at nauseum. So let me stop you. You believe, as David and I were talking about, the under-over, by the way, on the MyBookie odds is six and a half rounds. Is Pulev getting to the sixth round? Is he getting to the seventh round? Or you believe it's over quicker for Anthony Joshua? I- I think, TJ, this is one of the few times where I think Joshua may actually surprise all of us and jab Pulev a lot earlier and a lot often, where he doesn't do what he did against uh, Louise the last two go-rounds, where he jab, where the last time in the second round in Saudi Arabia, he boxed him for 12 rounds. And the time before that, he got he bored us all before he got knocked out. So I think I think Joshua takes care of business here and, and gets his end out the way. I, I'm picking the under on the, on the and, rounds. On and that. what David Payne's point is, and it's a good one, is the threat that Ruiz posed, which Joshua found out the hard way on the loss and then strategically stayed away from with an out-of-shape Ruiz in Saudi Arabia back now 12 months ago, was that Ruiz has fast hands and has a thunderous right hand to go along with the fast hands. Pulev mm-hmm. may have the big right hand, but he has nowhere near the hand speed or at 39, the reflexes and that kind of stuff to be able to make something happen. I guess basically the only real intrigue is, can he catch Joshua with a significant punch, uh, whatever you want to call it, lucky punch, whatever, in the first couple of rounds of this fight? Other than that, Joshua probably solves him very quickly and can toy with him and do with him uh, what he wants. That's that's the the fair assessment. I think the the uh, overwhelming majority believe this is going to be an easy win, and it's a matter of how soon, not not if, but how soon Joshua does it. Right. Pretty much, TJ. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. Only for the simple fact that the last time most of us saw uh, Pulev was last year, and it was against Rydell Booker, and he couldn't put away Rydell Booker, and we all saw Rydell Booker recently against uh, Philip Hergovic look in exactly the same shape that he was against Kubat Pulov, and it wasn't very good. So no one, no one's expecting Pulov to do anything out of the ordinary except to be the other side of uh, the Joshua punch at this point. And again, for Joshua to win by knockout, TKO, or DQ, minus 275. So that is some serious, you're, you're laying some money again. Most believe that he will win by KO. Pulev, by the way, plus 900 
on the possibility of winning by KO, TKO, or DQ. Again, looming is the alleged agreed-upon um, Tyson Fury fight for the undisputed title with the WBC champ. It is obviously something that Joshua wants, that Eddie Hearn and Matchroom want. Tyson Fury is saying the same thing, that he will go along with it. He's just looking for a fight right now. My understanding uh, is that it's not only just mediation uh, at the moment, but they are looking to get an arbitration ruling, Deontay Wilder's side, to force Fury to fight them in February or March on a timeline here. Uh, they're hoping that it's not a guarantee that an arbitration ruling will be coming. We will wait to see if there's an arbitration ruling coming or not for, um, for a possible Wilder Fury fight. And that's what the holdup was. Uh, again, I've talked to a couple of people behind the scenes that have said this is just progressing through the contractual part of mediation, and then ultimately they know there's not going to be an agreed-upon deal without an arbitrator saying, uh, hey, bang the gavel here. So the bottom you know, the bottom line is, can Deontay Wilder get something from an arbitrator that he can't get on his own, which is get Tyson Fury back in front of him? But I, I don't know. I would probably gauge it as maybe about a 20% chance that he can get the arbitrator ruling and can get Fury back in front of him. If not... Uh, if he doesn't get that arbitrator ruling, uh, Fury's going to probably take on Anthony Joshua in like April or May, something like that, right? Absolutely, TJ. And it's interesting with uh, the whole mediation thing with uh, Wilder and that whole that whole cloud of weirdness going on where you would think at some point, it's one of those fights, TJ, where you kind of wonder why is it taking so long for this to happen? What's Wilder's side not telling everybody? The one thing I will admit yep. besides all of this is that that it's been very, very mum on his end, with the exception of Wilder giving a few weird interviews uh, with uh, Brian Custer talking about his grandma for 50 minutes. Outside of that, we haven't heard much of anything else. Well, you and, and, and I, you and I believe that, and again, I, I can't say that I have this, that he has been injured and he was not healthy enough to train and be ready for this month and this time frame of either December 19th, December 12th, somewhere, and that's what was the further complication here besides just what's the venue? Can ESPN and Fox both televise it? Blah, blah, blah. What does the contract say if the clock runs out on 2020 on the calendar year? We believe there's an injury, and he has not come clean one way or the other, but it would it would be logical for everybody. I'm not just saying this to Marquise. Yeah. That if he couldn't fight now, but he's healthier now and can train now and he can fight, let's say, in late February again on the one-year anniversary or thereabouts of having lost a Fury, that makes more sense on the timeline if he's, if he's suddenly healthier now, can train now, can give it eight weeks, can get an arbitrator to help, to help him, and now he fights Fury in February and, uh, and that's the rematch and they make a boatload of money, both of them, if they can, with a live gate, wherever the live gate might be. That makes sense, TJ, and it, it brings the difference. At some point, I, it, you know what? The more I think about it, TJ, I think really that it's a it's a bizarre stall tactic. But at the end of the day, this the fight with Weirdy, Fury and Wilder needs fans. So right. the, the sooner they can get out the way, the better. Like, and it's the same it, thing, it, by the way, for Fury Joshua. I mean, yeah. the only way that's a mega fight is if you you, you can't do that one in front of a thousand people at the Wembley Not Arena. So you're you're trying to have fans and have a large amount of fans. Uh, but look, the bottom line is that it's probably a long shot that Wilder wins in arbitration, but he still could. He could have 
according to the contract, and arbitrators say this contract is still enforceable. Tyson Fury, you can't just walk away from it. You guys are fighting and work it out, and they'll try to quickly work it out, but we'll wait to see what happens on that one. In any event, if Joshua does his part uh, coming up on Saturday night and wins and wins impressively, it creates momentum, obviously, for the possibility of the Fury fight to be coming next in April and May. He just has to be disentangled once and for all from the Wilder contract. And I understand because, again, uh, one of the, uh, the people that I'm talking to kind of behind the scenes repeated this, that the belief, because Wilder's now 36 years old, by the way, just turned 36 in December. The belief is if he doesn't get in this time frame the fight with Tyson Fury, he's never going to get a fight with Tyson Fury. That fight that, that Fury has the automatic rematch clause with Joshua, Fury will fight two or three more times and then may just hang it up and may avoid him. So they are pushing uh, in Wilder's camp behind the scenes to get this enforced because it's like the train leaving the station. And once it's gone, it ain't coming back, brother. That's... That's how they're looking at it. Absolutely, TJ. It's, it's the reverse uh, Dillian White syndrome where Dillian White was – how long was Dillian White the longest-reigning WBC mandatory right. comp- competitor? About 5,000 years. Are we, so, still, are we still talking about the guy that hasn't won a significant fight in like two and a half years and the only thing he's known for right now is getting knocked out by Alexander Povetkin? Is, are we still talking about him? Yes, I think, TJ. I think we are. To his defense, though, uh, the WBC made a whole bridgeweight division, and their rankings came out, and uh, all of White's wins are currently ranked in the top ten of it, unfortunately. So that's <laughs> that's that's one credit. Don't get you benefit. started on the bridgeweight in between cruiserweight and heavyweight uh, for yeah. that. All right, so one more time, we were talking about this with David. I make reference to our conversation that we were talking about Floyd Mayweather beating Ricky Hatton. By the way, uh, Hitman Hatton's son, uh, what is it, Campbell Hatton, 19 mm-hmm. years of age, uh, tremendous amateur career over the last couple of years. He announced on Thursday, the day that we're taping this, on the Matchroom press conference for Joshua Pulev that he will turn professional, will be part of the Matchroom stable, and will make his pro debut soon, right? So for all the talk that we had earlier in the podcast about how popular Hitman Hatton was, all the wins at junior welterweight, world titles uh, at junior welterweight, he did. He vanished quickly after Mayweather knocked him out, Pacquiao knocked him out, and he retired in the late 2000s. But his son, we now are old enough, Marquise, that his son is coming around as a 19-year-old to fight professionally, and that was announced Thursday. You wrote about that on the website as well. Uh, another thought from you real quick on that? Absolutely, TJ. Man, I feel old as all get out because I remember <laughs> watching Mayweather had in a, a solid decade ago. And the one thing leading up to that fight that was that always cracked me about because it happened over the holiday season. If, if, if memory starts well in Vegas. Right. The was anniversary that- was earlier this week. Correct. December. Right. <laughs> Yeah, was that everyone swore up and down that Haddon was the guy that was going to catch Mayweather. And they were right on one part. He They caught a plane ticket to, to Las Vegas. <laughs> Haddon got knocked out. And, and he caught a left hook. Up. He caught a left yeah. hook. Yes, he did catch that as well. And then he caught the canvas uh, a couple times shortly after that. And then he caught retirement. Well, he caught another left hook from Manny Pacquiao. And then he caught retirement uh, eventually. But, yes, fascinating that Hatton's son will be there. But, anyway, we write about nostalgia. Mayweather Hatton earlier this week. At the time that we're taping the uh, anniversary, unfortunately, of Muhammad Ali's final fight where he was just shot, had nothing left against Trevor Burbick in December 1981. That anniversary is this weekend. We write about it all, not just in the present, right? We go back in time and write about historical fights as well on the website, right? 
Absolutely, TJ, especially at BigFightWeekend.com, your source for all things boxing news, past, present, and future. Yeah, that last fight with Muhammad Ali, well, the ghost of Muhammad Ali mm. taking on uh, Trevor Burbick in the last fight in the Battle of the Bahamas was just... There's a, there's a great line from Sylvester Stallone, who was present when Muhammad Ali faced uh, Larry Holmes. That it looked like a, a surgeon being taken alive, and that is nothing compared to what happened with Ali against Burbick, who was just not... You can just see physically in the ring that Ali was just not the same guy. And it was it's kind of rough to watch, too. But that happened at, at this time around back in 1981. Yeah, it was sad at the very end because he was also fighting for financial reasons. That was part of it. Um, mm-hmm. And and well beyond needing. I mean, the Thrilla in Manila was six years before the Burbick fight. And, and I don't know that Ali needed to be fighting much more after the Thrilla in Manila in 1975. But he did. He fought Spinks twice. He fought uh, Ken Norton again right after the Thrilla in Manila, fought Spinks twice. And then fought, uh, obviously, Larry Holmes with nothing left. And and Holmes was was so upset that night beating him in Las Vegas that he was almost begging the referee to stop the fight. He was tired uh, of embarrassing and hammering Ali and hurting Ali without the fight being stopped before it finally was. I mean, Holmes, Holmes talked about that on numerous occasions uh, after that, that it, it pained him. Uh, to be beating Muhammad Ali like that, so one-sided, so lopsided, and then Ali fought again is what we're talking about against Trevor yeah. Burbick, fought one more time uh, that ended his career, and that anniversary was this weekend. So we write about all of those things. Uh, Marquise, I look forward to it one more time. They need to be reading for all the previews this weekend from Las Vegas uh, to London to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut. You're going to be writing in advance. I'm going to be assisting you. Recaps, previews of the fights, recaps of the fights. They need to be glued on BigFightWeekend.com, right? Absolutely, TJ. Uh, BigFightWeekend.com. Check out that recaps over the weekend. Friends don't let friends, TJ, watch Heary Fury fights. I got you covered instead. So <laughs> I'll keep an eye out for, keep an eye out for that agony amongst other, other things on the uh, Joshua Pulev card. Keep an eye out uh, for things happening down on the Showtime card, which is one, we're one week away, uh, TJ, from uh, Jerron Boots Ennis making his appearance on Showtime again. That's, that's always fun to watch on that uh, salvaged uh, Showtime card. And also, as well, to keep an eye out for ESPN on top rank with the uh, Shakur Stevenson card to see if he calls out uh, Lomachenko live and in person for everyone on ESPN afterwards. And Shakur Stevenson's got a lot of talent. He's young, so he's an up-and-coming star, and we'll see who he gets in there with next. Because, again, this is a non-title fight that he should win easily. And as you tease, next weekend is not just Jerron Boots Ennis on the PBC on Showtime. It's Canelo Alvarez back the four-division world champion fighting unbeaten English super middleweight world champ Callum Smith. We'll be back to preview that fight next week. Uh, For now, though, I think we're good. Marquise, great stuff. We appreciate it, my friend. Absolutely, TJ. Thanks so much. There is senior writer, BigFightWeekend.com, Marquise Johns. Thanks also to David Payne, the boxing writer, BoxingWriter.co.uk. I am merely TJ Reeves. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Keep reading, keep watching everything going on uh, through BigFightWeekend.com. Subscribe to this podcast no matter how you found it, through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc., Uh, Again, the Sports Gambling Podcast and their uh, network fleet of shows. Uh, My thanks again to Sean Green, Ryan Kramer. They do a great job with all of their programming and also sportsgamblingpodcast.com for putting the podcast up. For now, we are done. We'll be back next week, uh, one of the final shows of the year, getting ready for Canelo Callum Smith. For now, enjoy everything, including Joshua Pulev. What happens in the heavyweight showdown in London, we will find out. We've been previewing it here on the Big Fight Weekend Podcast. Bye.